You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hi, everyone. It's Lisa Patel, the president of TREB, and you're listening to Ready to Real Estate. We're talking millennials, boomers, and the generational wealth transfer that is currently underway. In the U.S., boomers are expected to transfer as much as 30 trillion USD in wealth to younger generations. While there is no firm consensus on the dollar amount expected to be transferred here in Canada, we can probably assume it will be a significant amount. So to get into this further, we're bringing you two different perspectives on relevant topics that and examining what this means when it comes to real estate. Joining me is RBC's Vice President, Investment and Wealth Advisor, Wealth Advisor, Deanne Chaban, and Mortgage Professionals, Canada Director, Government Relations, JP Fortress, to talk about what wealth transfer is and what trends we can expect to see as it unfolds over the next few decades. So welcome both. Are we excited to, to be here today and to really get into generational wealth? So just to, to start things off, let's first talk about wealth transfer. What can you tell us? So uh, Deanne, what can you tell us about wealth transfer? Like, what does that even mean for anyone that's listening in? I mean, we hear, the, we hear these notions all the time, but what does that really mean? So a wealth transfer is when money transfers from one generation to the next, simply put. Um, sometimes it's just what's left over after an estate is settled, but oftentimes it's an intentional transfer of wealth that's strategically orchestrated to be a tax efficient and purposeful legacy. That's a, a whole lot to take in and breathe and digest at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what, and then I'm going to ask JP to give us an example. What, what is an example of that? Of, of, of wealth transfer? Yeah. Well, primarily it's when people who are fortunate enough to have parents who are wealthy enough to buy them, help them buy a place in this particular market, simply uh, gift. And it's important to note that it has to be gifted funds, um, not something that is loaned because a, a, a lender will have to want to see that the money is not owed to anyone else like after the mm -hmm. fact because a lender the last thing they want is to have someone um it to be obligated to to, to be obligated to two uh lenders namely the parents so it has to be clearly marked as a gift that's the first important thing but wealth transfer is simply that people who are able who have been on the property ladder for an extended period of time have the ability to gift to the next generation in advance of their parting of this mortal coil, um, basically in advance on the inheritance. I mean, that, that's the, that is the primary driver right now. People, uh, I mean, I can speak, since might as well personal, um, back in 99, um, I purchased my first home for $210,900. Um, my wife and I, who wasn't my wife at the time, and is my wife, thank goodness. We, um, we, we're we getting into the, into the nitty gritty too. Yeah, so yes, more details, with, please. Yes. We each came up with $25,000. I mean, $25,000 each to come up with 50 and change to buy a house back then. 
we could do that. And incomes certainly haven't gone up commensurate with that time. We're talking 25 years ago. Um, but we could do it. And we didn't have wealthy parents. I mean, my, I didn't have a, I didn't have any money coming up. But that is something. But since then, I now have the ability to gift something to my son who is certainly not going to be able to be in the situation that I had 20 years ago. Well, I'm not alone. I mean, we were we were blessed with being born at the right time. That is not happening right now. And that is a real concern for many people. The wealth gap is being exacerbated perhaps by what's going on now. But that said, this is something that parents my age, older than myself, see that we can do certain things with our money. We can, mm -hmm. you know, we can decide to invest it, which really seems like gambling these days. We can spend it, which is not really a great thing to do or we can save it. Well, we're saving it. The most important thing we wanna teach new future generations is to own a home because that's the best for savings vehicle. You're not sitting there on Robin Hood or Wealth Simple and sitting there trading every hour because you can do that. Holding a home to people of an older generation is a savings vehicle. If you can do that in advance when housing prices are you know, where they are now, that is generally changing the philosophy of many people older than let's say 50 and saying, I don't need to wait until I'm 80 or 90 because people are dying longer now and living longer. Um, why, why hold on and wait until I'm gone to give this money when I can give it now? And that is a trend that has certainly been accelerated in the past years by the nature. So of I'm just going to take us back a little bit because you've given us so much information and I'm still stuck on when he said age, you know, like people my age and older. So we're I know we're all wondering that. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. But you did give us a lot to think about in terms of the whole generational wealth and, and uh, the concept of savings. And just this is a quick recap of savings and not only savings, but the whole aspect of of real estate and how what real estate really does not only for past generations but for future generations so and i know you mentioned the word gift so when we talk about gift would you say that gift is uh the same thing as as inheritance it could be an advanced inheritance i mean that's mm -hmm. what i'm saying i'm sorry i don't mean to monopolize it diane if, if you have any thoughts on this I mean, oh no I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna get to diane don't worry she's yeah. ready she's she's like she's like okay do you just say what you're your piece she's, yeah. i'm coming <laughs> her, her industry coming must be growing i know of many i know many people you know who are fortunate like like i am who are sitting there going well what do we do now we don't we, we don't want to have tax implications for our kids we don't want to have um you know when when we've gone on we want to make sure our wills everyone has been reevaluating their own mortality and their own futures based on what's happened in the past two years. Predictions are out the window. Every, every paradigm and thought that we had over the past previous 10, 15, 20 years has changed. And those kids who are now sitting there hearing this noise, this narrative that is markets are going to keep going up. Well, we've lived for the last 15, 20 years sitting there going, yeah, our homes have gone up. And we, you know, the principal home, I mean, nothing's going to happen tax-wise to principal homes. They're sacrosanct. And that belief is going to continue because it has to continue. No government would be crazy enough to tax principal homes. I mean, it's just, it, it, it would just... We heard it right there from JP's mouth. <laughs> no government is going to do that. I, but I, I, have, I, 
<laughs> we're going to come back to that because we're sure. going to, we're going to go to over to D D give us some light here. Um, you know, in terms of generational wealth, inheritance gifts, what can you share with us? Um, well, I think one of the things that um, we're seeing um, more often than not, particularly with these fears that potentially taxes could go up, there's lots of talk about inflation. I mean, these things are not new, but they've just come into light even more now with this global pandemic that we've gone through. The, the notion that, you know, the cost of living is going to go up, you know, goods and services certainly are going to cost more as we get back to normal. Um, taxes will undoubtedly have to go up in order to just continue to pay for this massive government stimulus plan and, and debt that we've taken on to get through the pandemic. So it's not a surprise and it's a very real reality that taxes will go up. And so clients may be looking, particularly when we're doing planning for them, and, and doing that comprehensive sort of future look and, and a lens into what is your wealth going to look like as we cascade into the future, right? And if we, you know, believe it or not, and it's very simple, like most of our, our wealthiest clients became wealthy because they're really good savers. And then good savers have a hard time spending their money, right? And so- you know, Can we, I just ask, when you said that, so savers, um, would you, you know, would, would you say that it's the old principle that they're putting, you know, 10% of your paycheck, where does it go? Or would you say that they're, they're actually saving even more money? Like what trends had, would you say that you, you've noticed or you're, you've encountered yourself? I think, well, the, the percentage that you end up saving, I mean, that comes down to cash flow and what, what fits your personal lifestyle. And then obviously coaching from an advisor to help you not only save for today, but look at the future and kind of do the math backwards to figure out how much you need to be saving it is certainly something that makes uh, a prolonged and lasting effect. But I think trend-wise, what I'm seeing is most people tend to try to maximize their RSPs and their TFSAs first. And then if there is excess cash, then we, we can look at starting to build wealth within what, what we call the non-registered account, right? Outside of those registered um, savings vehicles, or if they're incorporated, if they're business owners, entrepreneurs, and building that wealth or that pension type environment within their, their, their PC. You, you know what? You gave us a great synopsis about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the trend uh, is usually starting with RSPs and all along those yeah, avenues and, and considering working with an investment advisor to really guide you through that whole savings process. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a lot of, of good tips, especially if we're, we're growing on, on, on wealth, right? And, mm -hmm. and avenues of, of maximizing money. Certainly the, the essence of saving is what has gotten most Canadians to that wealthy status, right? And so you get to this point where you realize, okay, we've done the planning. There is not a risk of running out of money, right? Because that's the first principle that we would be looking at. And then in essence, if, if that's not, you know, the next layer would be, well, then how much am I leaving behind, right? And when I look at that legacy, how can I make it as tax efficient as possible when it transfers from one generation to the next, right? In other words, how do I leave more money for my kids or for a charity or like really whoever you love more than the CRA, right? So if you can do planning now, that's going to leave more money for those you love, then, then why not do so? And so we're doing that either from, a, from an estate planning perspective to make sure that it's efficient, whether it's through trusts or through tax-exempt insurance, or we're seeing more of a trend now in where people are being encouraged to spend more of that money and gift it while they're alive in order to enjoy the pleasure that you would get out of seeing your money, your hard-earned money being gifted and being used by your kids and whoever you intended to leave it behind to. 
Um, and so, you know, that, that's something that we're seeing as a, as a gift, not necessarily just cash gifts to help down payments. Maybe it's a family trip that everybody goes on together. It's more of these experiences that are being um, uh, made into goals rather than material goods. So I have one question for both of you, and then we're going to dive into some scenarios. Do you, are, are you both seeing um, inheritance being used more frequently right today, or would you say? Or, or would you say that you see more gifts being used more frequently today for the, like the next generation of buyers out there in the world? JP? Well, Did I stun you? <laughs> no, 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 no. Interesting because I mean, you, you can't always tell whether something is an inheritance. I mean, you do see, you know, I mean, just because someone comes in to, you know, perhaps speak to a mortgage broker and remember, speak with mortgage professionals. Don't, don't mm -hmm. just try to wing this yourself. Um, the important thing to note is we don't know necessarily if someone has received it through a death inheritance. I mean, if someone comes in with money, I mean, we know if it's gifted money because that has a document from someone who is already living. So distinguishing between inheritance and actual, you know, a gift from someone who is living a, you know, a higher generation, that, that we, can, we can't really necessarily ascertain those things. I mean, Diane might have a better idea through her, you know, through her um, work what is an inheritance because the money just comes in and all of a sudden it could be feel like I, I guess I was just more that. looking at if if, the, if we're seeing more trends of that I mean as the price of real estate has gone up um, are we seeing more trends of, uh, of of gifts being given or are we seeing more trends of inheritance being used um, yeah absolutely I mean surveys that have been done in the last little while I mean you know there have been surveys with one recently, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was 2000 people who were surveyed and uh, of parents of people, you know, who have adult kids, young adult kids, 95% of them said that they had helped kids financially through tuition, rent, groceries, and buying a home. And of that 95% subgroup, one third of respondents said they gave cash for a down payment on a home. Wow. You know, and that's and that's a pretty substantial number. And I know that number is considerably higher than it was that would have been previously, um, simply because the numbers are higher. And you know, the pricing of homes is being accelerated because there is this money coming in. We can't all, you know, there there were these these stories about you know foreign buyers and everything else. And and obviously those are things that the government still investigate, but. We have not had foreign buyers really in the last little while. We have not had immigration in the last little while, yet prices are still really accelerating. Well, where is that money coming from? It's coming from people who I know, um, our brokers are certainly hearing it, refis. People who have pretty much paid off their entire home entirely or very close to have all of this equity built into the homes. Well, if rates are gonna be at 2% and you can help the kids with, a, with an investment that potentially goes up, let's say average 4% a year, let alone the seven and 8% that we have been seeing, which is unreasonably optimistic for the future. Even at 4%, if you're borrowing at two, two and a half percent, you're gonna make that move every time. And you just see that accelerating the prices everywhere, especially in, in cottages, second homes, um, and, and certainly for first homes in the GTA. Wow. Uh, very interesting stats. So you're going to have to share with us one day more of those stats. Um, but D, you know what, uh, give us some light here on, on seeing wealth transfer trending. Is it in certain regions or is it by household income? Uh, what would you say? 
Um, I say it's more in, in my experience, I, I don't know if this is a national trend, but I would say it's more related to net worth and household income than it would be to a specific region. Um, mind you, I, I, I'm an advisor in, in Toronto and most of my clients are within the province of Ontario. Um, but, you know, when we look at optimizing a family's financial picture, then, you know, we'd be looking at like tax planning, risk mitigation, estate planning. Those are big elements of preserving wealth. So then we may find, you know, scenarios where income splitting, for instance, is, is a nice problem to have, right? More money, more problems. Like Biggie uh, Smalls <laughs> certainly had it right. Um, now you have so, to sing the song. <laughs> maybe that's where you cue insert the song. <laughs> I'll hit every note, but the right one. Um, but so then so it's a nice problem to have, right? And where you'd be looking for that fix. Um, so looking for ways to mitigate tax. Um, through things like family trusts or tax exempt insurance, for instance. And so um, either either we're trying to look at ways to offset the, the tax impact within the high income earners within the family, right? And so that could be family planning dynamics while everyone is around, so long as it makes sense and is, is CRA compliant, of course, um, or you're finding it um, as a legacy planning piece, um, or then there's the um, to JP's point, um, the opportunity cost of money, right? And right now, that's something I'm counseling clients on a lot is looking at, well, interest rates are so, so low, right? And so from a borrowing perspective, what I like to call smart debt, right? If it's linked to, a, you know, an asset that is appreciating in value over time, like a home, um, then, you know, the borrowing to invest uh, concept makes even more sense now, right? Um, because that, that cost to carry the, the debt is much lower, ideally, than what your appreciation will be in that asset long term. You know, any sort of leveraging um, investment approach, whether it's buying a house or buying into the stock market, so long as you have a long time horizon ahead of you in there's discipline in that um, and there's a full plan that's been considered, it's likely a good thing to consider so long as it fits within your you know, your risk parameters and, um, and your personal circumstances. Um, so we are seeing that there is some help with down payments, um, not only just to help elevate that next generation to be able to afford these homes that have just gone up astronomically in price, but sometimes even just as an investment. Sure, I'll help you out with that down payment, but I, wanna, I want a piece of the pie as, as that value of the home starts to increase. There's nothing so wrong with that. You know what you've given a you both have given us so much tidbit and we're probably going to have to our listeners are probably going to have to listen to this a couple of times too because there's so many key concepts and anyone that's tuned into this I would say you know definitely speak to an expert right mm -hmm. because you, there's so many it sounds like there's so many portfolios there's so many avenues of consideration and I'm going to assume that every situation is so different as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but with that in mind, uh, you know, you, you just touched on some, my next question to you, and that was going to be on um, how has this affected down payments for first time buyers? So the real issue right now is, is that down payments are increasing and, and, and the wealth transfer, the advanced wealth transfer is, is a small part of this. Because of the mortgage stress test, which is now just now increasing to five and a quarter percent. Mm -hmm. People now are qualifying for less mortgage, which means they need a greater down payment. Well, mm -hmm. where's that down payment going to come from? Mm -hmm. um, I was going to borrow it from you. Is that okay? <laughs> sure, it's six <laughs> percent. <laughs> but but um, no, the, the the truth is is that the stress test is going to push people into situate. Well, first of all, it's going to push out people who don't have the luxury of a bank of mom and dad mm -hmm. into not going into home ownership. 
you're going to have you decrease the pool of proper competition you you might not really be affecting prices all that much because there is this generational wealth where people who do have generational wealth and i i hate the term but it really is applicable here those people are going to be giving a little more money to their their kids to be able to buy the house um, because then they don't have to worry about the stress test quite as much if that's going to be a move that's going to happen, you know, in the next three to six months, it already happened once before. We're seeing this divergence of wealth, um, uh, you know, this greater wealth inequality. Um, we, th the problem is, is that when governments do stuff like that, they actually hurt the people they're purporting to help. And, and we've seen that over the course of the last 10 years. I mean, when I think about, uh, so I was in, I was in the mortgage scape before I was in the real estate space. And, and I will tell you in the last 10 years, we've seen more tightening and more tightening to that first time buyer pool. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing this program at Ryerson um, on Toronto. And, and it was interesting because in the prediction, this is going back a couple of years ago, um, was that, you know, those that already owned real estate or already had wealth, we're only going to get wealthier. And, um, and, and, and we're kind of, it's, it's so surreal because, you know, if we take the last year of our lives together in this pandemic, we've, we've witnessed that too, right? We've witnessed that those that have owned real estate um, have gained in real estate. And then we witnessed so many more the, that massive demand that wants in that real estate space, right? Um, so it's a bigger question is, is what's going to happen in the future and, and how, how does it all tie in? Because we're still going to need first-time buyers in every marketplace. So that tightening is going to be a, a big question of the future. And I'm sure you both have thoughts and ideas on it. Um, but, you know, speaking on that level and, and the whole mortgage, mortgage aspect, um, JP, is there any other trends uh, that are happening in, in the mortgage world? Um, it's, it's not a space that I'm, I'm too familiar with. I've certainly been hearing a lot about it as reverse mortgages. Yeah. Um, Reverse mortgages are, are increasing. I mean, the numbers that I had from Equitable Group, um, a, a large reverse mortgage originator, um, their increases were 240% annually uh, last quarter and 44% for the quarter, which means Q1, I believe. Um, they just reported a few weeks ago. And they do have very conservative, you know, risk management. They're, they're not, you know, just simply throwing it to the wind. Um, this is uh, a trend that certainly uh, people I speak to in government ask about. They ask about private mortgages and reverse mortgages. Private mortgage growth is increasing. It is, you know, there's, there's just certain types. You have mortgage investment corporations, which are one type, and they're, you know, reputable and, and understood and well-managed and everything else. And then there's private mortgages, which is pools of frankly, wealthy people who come together and then, you know, it could be dead. And, and a lot of people yeah. have been forced to use a lot of that private funding too, over and, the course of the last couple of years in, and, in our financial world. Yeah, exactly. Lisa, that, that's one of those things that is an, a, a, perhaps an unintended consequence. The government asks us about it. They don't have all the data on private mortgages because it's not real time stuff for them. We certainly have a greater idea. They come to us for that information. Uh, I think they're realizing and sometimes the errors of their ways and making it so much less affordable and, and difficult for people to achieve, to re get mortgages. Obviously, there's some people who maybe shouldn't be in mortgages, but almost all people are. Um, and, and that's the real thing. But they're getting pushed into market privates. And privates now are, you know, 6.99%, which would have been, 
you know, not that outrageous a little while ago. I was thinking, um, I was trying to go back to those years where, where it was. Like, I mean, that's like a normal self-employed uh, rate. Uh, when I think back to like the good, the good days, uh, if I look back like 20, what, 2009, seven, eight, nine, I would have said that we would, the, the, like that was more the norm. Yeah. Or even even nine percent, uh, because if you were self-employed, but those were more traditional rates that we would have seen, and and who knows when they'll those will come back again. <laughs> yeah, indeed, in, in, in mid two thousand and five, a five-year fix was around five percent. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you're you're looking at you know now saying six point nine nine. Of course, it's relative to what you know rates and bonds are, but six point nine nine percent to to borrow uh, lender fee or not lender fee is is very. Re I don't want to say reasonable, but I mean, when, when the opportunity presents itself that you're going to keep your home, you're going to go to a private and it's, it's not as bad as it used to be. That said, um, it shouldn't, you shouldn't need to move to a private if you're just right there on the cusp. And one of the real issues that we're having right now is there are a lot of marital breakdowns, single people all of a sudden now, it, it, one household sometimes becomes two or the person wants to keep their home. And now all of a sudden they would qualify otherwise, but they need either help of bank of mom and dad in advance, or they have to go to a private or they have to sell their place. That is one of the specialties of mortgage brokers these days, especially mm -hmm. those, um, they're hearing every story and they have to deal with every story. And those anecdotes and stories, they, they take so personally. I mean, I've had real sessions with people, friends of mine now who are just, I can't help this person or I yeah. wish I could help this person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't have a bank of mom and dad. They don't have that access to generational wealth. That is a part of the impetus of people going into getting their inheritances in advance. Mm -hmm. It's to give them a sense of, of stability in this insane time. No um, one can make a prediction. Anyway, we'll talk about predictions, I'm sure, soon enough. Well yeah. said. And, you know, does, does Adi, do you want to add anything about this whole Smith maneuver? I know that JP touched on it, but what else can you tell us? I mean, that's an, it's an old concept, and it seems to, like, have its, like, revelation every so, every so many years of when we go back to it. <laughs> um. Honestly, I, I really wouldn't add anything more other than what JP said. I think he covered it pretty perfectly. And, and in terms of trends, uh, is there anything else that you, you have seen or, or anyone or, or RBC overall has seen? Um, I, think for, I, I really, I would just speak for myself and what I've seen across my book of clients and, and, and households and, and how their kids are, are perhaps looking to purchase um, homes or assets or build wealth for themselves. Because um, we do take a, a very family approach, right? And so I pride myself in having generations of families um, as clients, right? So even though we might have our minimums, if the parents are already clients and we'll bring on the kids regardless of how much they've got in order to help them, you know, the earlier you get that planning and that advice, the, you know, the, the faster you can compound that savings and that growth over time. Um, I'm finding that there's sort of two, two, two ends of the spectrum here. I mean, in where in where um, a first time home buyer might be, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, and where a first time home buyer might be in a fortuitous situation and where they do have that early gifting that's happening and then, and they've got that juicy down payment that they're able to get from vis-a-vis -a, -vis a gift. Um, then, you know, it's helping them reach that 20% down payment that they need on the house in order to avoid CMHC fees. So it's just making that entire mortgage cost 
more efficient, right? And if we can keep costs down, that's going to help to elevate that growth and that compounding effect. Um, it's even to the point where your findings were eventually even considering, does it even make sense to take that $35,000 out of your RSP, which you're able to do as a first-time home buyer without it being taxed to then pay yourself back over a 15-year period? It, the opportunity cost, again, comes down to, well, you're sort of missing out on the compounding effects of those monies in a tax divert environment for those mm -hmm. 15 years. If you take them out of your RSP, look at how low that mortgage rate is. And so once you've kind of reached that 20% down payment, you really don't need to be putting an extra dollar down more if you're looking at the opportunity cost of how to make your dollar go further. So that would be a scenario where you're, you're um, you know, very much in a privileged scenario and where you've got those options, right? And you have that liquidity and you've got that early gifting. What cascades that wealth and that element of growth over time is the leveraging, right? You borrow, you have this mortgage, it allows you to buy a larger asset that you then hold on to for a very long period of time. Most of us tend to hone our own our real estate and hold it for a long period of time also because it's not liquid right it's very hard to flip a house it's much harder than it is to you know hit a button and, and sell a stock right and uh you're not given minute by minute valuations of your home every day from 9 30 a.m until 4 p.m when the market's open right and so you may feel a little bit more nervous about the value of your stocks relative to the value of your home just because of that information that's readily available you said it uh very well and and we as realtors um educate people on a regular basis that you know real estate is always about the long-term gain. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember one of my teachers many years ago um, had taught us, had taught me that because my parents were the opposite. They were, they were constantly buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling. Mm -hmm. um, so you see the effects and we see the effects like, you know, you the baby boomer age, right? Um, where people stay in their homes a lot longer. Um, and, mm -hmm. and we, we continuously see that, that, yeah, we've either found a way to make home the long-term permanent place, or mm -hmm. we change with lifestyle over the course of time. And, um, I'm just going to take it back to JP, cause I know we were talking about that stress test question. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so your thoughts is the stress test, will the stress test ever go away? <laughs> there, there will always now be a stress test. Yeah. Agreed. Um, now, what that level is, I mean, what we had been lobbying for and had a temporary success on was something that was really attached to the Bank of Canada. It stopped from the Bank of Canada rate and started attaching it to the contract rate, whatever you sign on for plus 2%. And, and it's just an, you know, an elegant solution. It, it, it takes care of most eventualities in a normal market. Of course, with COVID, nothing can be predicted. Um, but a stress test with you know 200 basis points above contract tends to make the most sense. Um, a five and a quarter percent uh, stress test, which is what's now, it's going to be the higher of that or two per, you know uh, 200 basis points. Five and a quarter percent. It's understandable that they're doing that now in the uninsured space. Um, because there has to be some mechanism to try to cool the narrative and cool the market in some way. The government doesn't have any tools. The Bank of Canada is not going to raise interest rates for a very long, I don't want to say a very long time, but even end of 2022, 2023, the interest, the prime rate is there to take care of the entire economy, not just the real estate market. Uh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Variable. 
for and, what it's worth. And it's going to take time. I mean, you know, we, I remember the days where the government was like, shovels are going in the ground and we're just going to be raising those interest rates. And it's been a, it's been the opposite effect for a while where mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's trended the other way. Um, and of course, uh, the unexpected had popped in. But I have one more question for both of you. And that is, what are your predictions for the future as generational wealth transfer unfolds over the next few decades? Who's uh, thoughts on that? I know it's deep. <laughs> JP, you, you look like you're ready for it. The, the real issue right now is, is okay, mar markets run on narratives. That's that's the, the short answer on everything for, for me when I, when I discuss predictions. Predictions are also a mugs game right now. I mean, I recall back a year ago when Evan Siddle at CMHC went to the House of Commons and said that, you know, markets were going to go down 9 to 18%. Real estate across the country, 9 to 18%. When pretty much the diametric opposite happened. Uh, the last stats I looked from Korea was, I think it was 18% up through March of last year, which means we got to be north of 20% right now from when that statement was made in May of last year. Um, that's not to say it wasn't a bad prediction. His job was to protect the government coffers and to make sure that you know the, the people weren't exuberant and understood that there was potential doom. But for every time a David Rosenberg or someone says that you know something's about to happen, you know the markets are going to go down, the market goes up ten percent, and then yeah, it'll come down ten to twenty percent potentially, but not after a, a considerable rise. Mm -hmm. So I know that comes back to. I don't think anybody should be making predictions. I think everybody should be thinking the long game to Diane, Diane's point. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone who plays the long game is fine. I'm an index investor. I've, I'm a buy and hold person when it comes to mm -hmm. homes and it has held me in good stead. It will hold everybody in good stead because of compounding interest and you don't fight the human nature of buying and selling on a whim. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, my prediction is buy a home because they're not making any more land. You're going to have nimbyism keeping people from, you know, the, the, you know, more development as is needed. Supply is always being stifled. You're going to have. And you're absolutely right. And and throw add in the, the 400,000 new immigrants that are going to be coming into the country. Yeah. And then we're back in the same uh, circle again and, and still calling for supply. And, and I can tell you guys uh, firsthand in speaking to presidents around the world, because TREP, of course, is uh, has partner uh, affiliations uh, to South America, to France. And we, of course, we hosted a recent event to all of um, uh, to all of Europe recently, and they're experiencing the same thing. And even our partner affiliations in, in, in the United States, uh, Florida and Miami, are also Saying the same thing that bricks and mortar is playing such a, a, a demand uh, all over the world. Land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Land. It, go, it goes back to, you know, what, what many of us learned, you know, 30 years ago. It, money loses 90% of its value over 30 years, just based on inflation. Normally, it might mm -hmm. be a little longer now. Um, and what you put it into is real estate and commodities primarily. Real estate is the thing that's most tangible and accessible to most people. Um, and it's held most people in good stead. That won't change because governments need that stability and predictability and the ability to put infrastructure around homes to keep you know, Canada the way it is. Um, I, I'm not trying to do it as a rah-rah, you know, jingoistic thing. It's gonna keep going. At least it shouldn't be at the levels it is now. The prediction is if you're buying real estate sensibly, 
you won't go wrong in the long run. Understood. Really good perspectives. Lots to take in there. And Dee, what can you share with us? I mean, I, I share JP's sentiment on predictions sort of being a fool's game. Like, who knows, right? Like, and we've, we've even seen how unpredictable even the, a year can be uh, when we look on like the last 12 months, all right? And how, how much of a wild ride um, just navigating through this pandemic has been both for the economy, for the market, for various sectors, home prices, uh, interest rates, inflation, everything. Um, I'd say one prediction I was starting to make um, a couple of years ago was that rotation from buying a home in the city to looking at just uh, purchasing cottage property, right? I started to see it even early in clients where they have, they may have thought, okay, look, I can't afford to buy my principal residence downtown, but I want to be downtown because my job is downtown. Uh, instead, I will skip that and I'll just buy my cottage, right? And, and that kind of made sense a couple of years ago because cottage properties were expensive, not as expensive as the city. Um, or maybe the idea was I'll buy a piece of land, let that appreciate, I'll build on it later when, when I can afford to. Um, and so what's happened uh, thanks to COVID is this suggestion that, okay, well, maybe I don't need to be downtown if I have to work downtown because I can work, work, work remotely and I do need more space and I want to be in an environment where I've got fresh air and outdoor activities. So more, more, more focus shifted towards that cottage lifestyle. And so I do think that we're going to continue to see an appreciation in price um, in cottage country. Uh, I think some are expecting it to cool after the pandemic's gone. I don't think so. I think it will continue to rise. So that's my prediction there. And then my second prediction for, for Toronto real estate is we could eventually get to a point because to JP's point on, you know, there's only so much land. They're not making any more land. Sure. There's infinite amount of space in the sky for condos to keep going up. And there's always a crane every time you look out the window um, but I think we could eventually get Technically, to point... we I'm going to cut, pause you for a second. Technically, we have over 200 cranes in the Oh, ground. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was off by about 199. Um, um, but we could get to a point where within the downtown core in Toronto, we're sort of like maybe the mentality of, of New York in where, sorry, you just rent. And renting is okay, right? Like the renting doesn't have to have this negative connotation to it. Renting could just be the status quo and old money just olds wealth, uh, olds um, real estate because that's just where it was initially purchased and it made, you know, transition from one generation to the next. But if you want to buy a new place, forget it, just rent if you want to live where you want to live. Wow. Okay. So um, lots to look forward to. Um, before we end, I'm just going to ask you both if you have any words of wisdom to share with anybody that's going to tune in to ready to real estate and learn about generational wealth. Um, and Dee, do you want to give us some, some words of wisdom? I think with respect to generational wealth and um, communication is key. So talk with your family, talk with your parents, talk about their plan. Um, find out if you're the executor or the power of attorney, you don't want to be finding that stuff out in the moment because it's already an emotional and stressful time. The more open that communication can be with the client, with, with your, with your family with respect to your, their succession plan and their estate and their legacy, the more um, of a, 
you know, fruitful sort of experience it's going to be for everyone, the more it's going to lessen family drama, the more planning we can do earlier on, the more um, efficient it's going to be for everyone involved. Um, and then secondly, from an investment standpoint, no matter what it is that you're investing in, so long as it's a high quality investment, whether it's a piece of property or a stock or an index or a fund, um, the long-term game is always the way to win. Uh, making a quick buck short-term um, is possible, but super risky. Um, and so keep that so in mind. So in other words, speak to you about some of those super risky ones. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you about anything. <laughs> I'll make good. sense of it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Diane. And JP, what's the words, words of wisdom? W words of wisdom. Um, don't be impetuous. Um, think the long game. Uh, and, and just because, you know, the narrative is right now, buy this, this, and that, take your time with it. Speak to mortgage brokers, speak to professionals, get a, di a diverse number of opinions because just because you might lose two or three or 5% or whatever theoretically is now, think the long game. Um, I, there, there was one book recently and I, he's not paying me for it or anything. There was a gentleman named Morgan Housel out of the collaborative fund in the States. Um, he has a book out now. You just look at it. I mean, there have been variations on books like this before, but it is succinct. It is simple, easy to read, and gives you points to follow that I have ironically followed my life through my life. And he is just basically distilling stuff that Sorry, I... Sorry, can, can you repeat that book again? Just so Morgan, in case... The, the author is Morgan Housel, H-O-U-S-E-L. Um, he has a, a blog post on something called the Collaborative Fund. I forget the, the name of the book, ironically, because it's just sort of there. I've given it to my kid. Mm -hmm. I'm just it just tells you very simple things. Index funds, a lot of things Dan has, has postulated, uh, sensible purchases, um, you know, what's, you know, this, the right thing to buy and not buy, uh, leasing versus owning, how you, you properly build wealth. Um, and also the other pearl to ponder is, is we really have to think that some of us who are fortunate enough right now, there's a whole bunch of people who aren't right now. We mm -hmm. should not be coming out of a pandemic right now, um, a worldwide pandemic better off than we were. There's something very psychologically personally wrong about that. There are some things that are not going to be messed around with, like I believe um, principal homes, but there are a lot of other things that will be and perhaps should be. Um, and, and that's, you know, there is something, there is something wrong. There are people who um, need to be helped and we just have to be a little understanding of it that the words generational wealth, man, it hurts some people because they don't have it. I certainly didn't have it. My, my father died you know, before he even had a chance to do anything. And I've been helping with my mom, you know, for 20 some odd years now. That my ability to do that was through home ownership. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is my pension. But it's also, you know, like, there's so many people out there who are hurting right now, people who've had breakups and everything else, people who have been alone the whole time. Mm -hmm. And they need to be noted and acknowledge that, you know, we can talk about generational wealth all we want. And it's a great vehicle home ownership, but there's another side to the coin. 
Absolutely. Um, thank you both. And, and, and Diane, I hope you don't mind that I, I called you D because I got a little, we got a little jealous here because JP's got JP. So I need yeah. LP and then you got to be D. And so now we're all part of that mix, but thank you both. Diane, JP, you both were amazing. So much knowledge here. We're going to have to bring you back to like to dissect all of this even more. Um, but thank you for sharing your insights and on wealth transfer and how it might help us understand market activity that we're seeing in the GTA. Thank you again. Our pleasure. And Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks, JP. And we'll, we'll look forward to your next book, of course. We won't, we're not, not Morgan's. We'll, we'll wait for yours <laughs> from both of you, actually. But, and thank you to everyone tuned in to today's episode. Enjoyed this episode of Ready to Real Estate podcast. Please subs subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Also, if you have an idea for a future episode, submit it to social media at trebnet.com. Talk soon, and thanks for tuning in. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B.ca to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thank you for tuning in.